Amen, amen. Y'all can go ahead and have a seat. Grab your Bibles from your home. Grab a Bible. Grab your family. Get another cup of coffee. Let's go. Welcome, Eastview family. It's good to see you. Glad you're here. It's fun to declare, isn't it, that our Lord will never fail us. He never will fail us. He never has. He's not going to start now. Love that song. If you're visiting with us today, we're glad you're here. Um, it's just good to, to have some people coming along with family and friends. And don't stay anonymous. Text hello to that number on the screen or go to the family room when we're done here. We'd really love to get to know you and get you plugged into Eastview Christian Church. And uh, especially if you're watching online today, we're excited that you're here. Uh, maybe it's rainy, maybe you're sick, maybe you're in a place you can't get out, but that's what uh, our online campus is for. God bless you guys, and uh, thanks for joining us. I'm really excited about a couple things. Uh, our July 3rd special celebration worship service at 4 o'clock is coming. It's, it's one service. Tyler's going to talk to you about it later, but I'm excited. You can wear shorts, bring your family and friends, eat hot dogs, and love Jesus. It's all a good, it's going to be a great day, right? And also, this Saturday is the Preaching Institute kickoff kind of breakfast, and we still have room if you want to sign up for that, uh, 8 to 10.30 this Saturday. So I, I got a lot of stuff going on, but first, this time in the Word today, and I'm going to tell you, I really, really struggled uh, trying to figure out how to get into this sermon because it's so broad and it covers so many topics. So I'm just going to give you four words and see if it piques anybody's interest here today. Marriage, adultery, sexuality, and divorce. Do I have your attention? I mean, it's at least a four-week series, guys. But I'm going to cram it in. Don't try this at home. I'm going to cram it into 35 minutes, okay? Because it's one of the questions that Jesus asked. In fact, today we're going to talk about the most important uh, the most important sex organ that you have. And it's not what you think. It's what Jesus identifies here in Mark chapter 10. It is the heart. We're very aware of this, this physical condition called ar arteriosclerosis. I can say it because I'm a doctor. Uh, arteriosclerosis has the word sclerosis in it. It's a hard, something gets hard, a hardening of the arteries. Jesus uses that exact same word in the first century Greek language, sclero, and he says the problem with all these questions about divorce and sex and adultery really comes down to sclerocardia. It is a hardness of the heart. And so my prayer for all of us this week, from the preacher to the one who's been a Christian for 70 years to someone who's brand new here today for the first time, is that you would allow God to soften your heart. Because the reality is, is that we all suffer this same problem uh, in the spiritual sense that our hearts can sometimes get hardened. So I'm praying today that you'll open your heart to the Word of God and just let Him do His surgery. We all need surgery. That's why we preach every Sunday, because we're all, you know, imperfect people, and God wants to change our hearts today. So let's let Him do that by reading His Word, Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 1, and we'll go through verse 12. And he left there, and he went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again, and again, as his custom was, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, 
Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to speak to us today. God, I know these are harsh words. I've been reading them all week and thinking of people I love and know. Um, And I pray that you would just break through our hard hearts today, that you would soften us to the word of Jesus, and that you would show us a, a clear way what your real true intention is for us. God, there's people who need forgiveness today. Help them feel forgiveness. There's people who need change today. Help change us. God, there are people who are just filled with joy today. Add to that joy. There are people that need to refocus. There's marriages that need to be saved. There are lives that need to be changed. God, I'm asking that you would do that in these moments together in your word. As I lift up your son, Jesus, would you just move powerfully by your Holy Spirit? I pray your blessing now on this place and those watching online that you would soften our hearts to this message. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, y'all are a little nervous, aren't you? Because this is the skeptical service uh, sermon, and this series has been based on these questions that people asked Jesus because people were skeptical then, people are skeptical now, and everything that Jesus just said is, is cause for some questions. And it's okay to ask questions. People have questions about Jesus and God and church and Christians, and many of those come from skeptical religious perspectives, which is what these Pharisees are doing. And so I just want to encourage you again, as Tyler and Jess did, don't be afraid of skeptical questions. It's okay. It's the way you build your faith. But let's go to the answer then, and let's see how Jesus answers this question. Actually, he sees right through their skepticism and the fact that they're trying to trap him. You see this pattern again. They ask him a question to test him. But I just want to start with this. This is what Jesus diagnoses first thing. Jesus, before I answer the question, I just want to give you guys a diagnosis. Your hearts are hard. That's, that's the problem. He understands the history of this question, The the trick question is about divorce. The trick question is, can a godly Hebrew from the Old Testament, law of Moses, can he just leave his wife for any any reason he wants to? Can he just write her a certificate of divorce and say, see you later, and that's the end of the story? Can he still be cool with God if that's what happens? And this was one of the highly debated theological questions in Jesus' time. So to understand it, I want to go 1,500 years before Jesus and go, where in the world did this whole divorce thing come from? Well, it's actually written in the book of Deuteronomy. You know that book that you skip when you start reading through the Bible in the year? And you jump forward to Luke or something? I get it. But when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. In other words, there's four verses that are provisional for if you divorce your wife. Now, something that's really interesting here is that Jesus actually adds to this. This, is, this was like cutting-edge craziness in Jesus' time. The, the passage we just read, he actually says the wife could divorce the husband. And that was not heard of. This, this law was strictly held under the, a male-dominated kind of culture from the, from the Abrahamic law. They, they, they had the right to divorce, but women didn't. And so Jesus makes this incredible distinction, but Jesus wants to get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is not why you might divorce or why you would stay together. The root of the problem is you have hard hearts. Moses gave you this law, which says, because of your hardness of heart. Now, if I would have been there, I'm like, wait a minute, I've not been around for 1,500 years. It was their hardness of heart. He's going, no, we all have it. It's a disease we all struggle with. And if we have hard hearts, we're less likely to listen to what God wants to say to us. And, and so, so they asked this question, 
What did Moses say? Can we divorce or not? And Jesus wants to make a distinction here, so I want you to see the words. He answered them, what did Moses command you? It's a very strong word that means, what did Moses say that you had to do? And he's trying to get them to, to, to understand their own theology. Because the truth is, he didn't command divorce. It's there. In fact, the Pharisees answer him rightly because they're smart Bible guys. And they're like, well, um, Moses allowed a man to leave his wife. Moses didn't command it. It wasn't an order given by God that, you know, if your wife or your husband is not satisfactory, you just get rid of them. That he made an allowance. He made an allowance and gave permission. And here's why. Because your hearts are hard. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, you're messing up the whole thing with your notion and your questions about divorce. That's where it started, and that was the debate in the first century. God uh, was really protecting women here, believe it or not, when you look at this passage, it, it, it goes on to say, listen, if you divorce your wife and you send her away, and then three months later or two years later you go, nah, never mind, I want her back, you can't go get her back. You can't just pass women around like you're trading donkeys and camels, which is what they did in the Old Testament time, unfortunately, right? So, you, so he's really saying, no, you can't just get mad one day and go, you're out of here, and the next day go, I'm just kidding, you can come back. He's actually watching them sin and divorce for any and every reason and then saying, if you're going to sin, I'm not going to let you mess it completely up. So here's a provision for you. By the way, this is one of the questions that people ask all the time. Old Testament, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're new to the faith, watching online, uh, have you ever wondered, I've been asked this question a hundred times, uh, why did God bless all those dudes in the Old Testament that had multiple wives? It seems like he's blessing them. And my simple answer is, uh, I don't think he was blessing them. I think he was using imperfect people to accomplish his will. That looked like blessing sometimes. But if you look at someone like Abraham, who had two wives, disastrous. It was terrible. Even today, we deal with wars between Jewish people and Arabic people who are descendants from Isaac and Ishmael. Not a blessing. It's been war since the whole thing started. That I won't even begin with David. David had several wives. His kids, his kids killed each other, had incestuous relationships. It was a disaster. His son tried to take his throne. So when you start saying, well, David was blessed and and Abraham was blessed. That's not really true. What God does is he uses all that he can use, imperfect people, to do his will. So sometimes he blesses you, doesn't he? Do you deserve it all the time? I'll let you answer that or let your spouse answer that for you. It is a marriage sermon, all right? Just because God uses imperfect, sinful people does not necessarily mean it's an endorsement of their action, just like this law from Moses was not an endorsement of divorce. But in the first century, it was a religious debate. I'm not going to go too deeply into it, but there are really uh, you know, two or three schools of thought. The Pharisees come, and they have the, the teacher uh, Hillel, and Hillel was very, very liberal in his interpretation. He, he made it so that if your wife burns dinner, you can write her a certificate and say, see you later. A little bit much, don't you think? And then the Shammai, his school was very strict. You can't just divorce your wife for anything except for adultery, marital unfaithfulness. The Essene school was very super conservative. They said, if you leave your wife, you can never remarry. Now, what's interesting in this context, maybe you didn't pay attention to it in verse 1. I do because I'm paid to. Just kidding. Uh, but it's really interesting context. The crowds gathered around him. He was in the region of Judea beyond Jordan. He's probably in the region of Herod the Tetrarch. 
who had stolen his brother's wife Herodias and John the Baptist preached against and lost his head over, right? So here's the context. They're going, Jesus, what about divorce? You're going to tick off the Hillel people or the Shammai people or the Essene people. You might get in trouble with Herod. Jesus says, well, I'm going to answer that by saying your hearts are hard. We'll get to that in just a moment. And here we are in the 21st century, guys, 2,000 years after Jesus spoke these words. And I know where we live. I know where we're at sexually as a culture. I know where we're at with marriage as a culture and divorce as a culture. We're in the middle of a pride uh, month that's designated as Pride Month, and flags and letters represent sexual identity. We're, we're in a time where marriage statistics actually are getting a little bit better, but they still hover around 43 to 45% divorce rate. Many of you in here have gone to counselors and sought out help because your parents divorced at an early age or a late age, and you're the, you're the children of divorce. We live in a culture where divorce is no longer seen as a bad thing. Just kind of okay, and just like, here's $100 to the lawyer, and you sign some papers, and you're done. And here's the unfortunate reality, and what I'm very aware of this morning as I preach this sermon to you, is that the stats in the church are not that much different than the stats out in the world, tragically. So I know, I know who I'm talking to today. I know who's watching online. I know there are people here whose marriages are really, really in trouble right now. There's people here who have committed adultery and had adultery committed against them. There are people here who are living together without being married. There are people here who are represented by those letters LGBTQ that we've become familiar with, and that's their identity in Jesus Christ. And I'm really glad, no matter who you are, I'm glad you're here. And I just pray that you just, I just, I just pray that you allow us to love you and just speak the truth and love for just a few moments this morning. By the way, I don't want to leave out, I know that there are happily married people here. I know there are a great number of people here who have a great marriage. I, I, I like the line my, uh, my former administrative assistant, Sandy, uh, who, she'd been married, her and Bob, for 40-some years. And she say, I she say, how long have you been married? She goes, happily for seven. And, <laughs> and the follow-up is always like, uh, uh, what years were those? She goes, no, just a day here and a day there. So that's, <laughs> that, that kind of describes how a lot of your you know, great marriages are. And, and there's one other group here. I know that we have singles in here. I know that many of you are single. 40% of American culture adults are single. So I'm just going to try to have this sermon <laughs> about all of these things and wrap them together. But I believe there's something there for all of us. By the way, as we have through this entire series, if you have any question clarified, you want to talk to a pastor, you want to ask some more questions, you want some to go deeper in your faith. We have care groups that are being formed by pastors on our staff right now, and uh, you can have a care appointment, actually, and meet with a pastor, go online, call the church. We really want you to take advantage. Don't walk out of here today and go, he's an idiot. What do you say that for? Just follow up with a smarter pastor than me, and they will help you walk through some of these questions, all right? But whoever you are today, wherever you find yourself, Let's just go to the Word of God. Let's just go to what Jesus says. A symptom of a hard heart for the way, is looking for the way that we want to do stuff instead of looking for God's good and perfect will for our lives. Only the hardest of hearts will go, I don't care what God says, I'm doing it my way. But what if we all came to this scripture today and we said, okay, God, I dare you. Inspire me, move me, change me. 
I think this is why Jesus takes these Jewish teachers and us back to the beginning of sexuality and marriage. He doesn't have to say what he says. He could have said, you numbskulls, don't divorce your wives. Next question. But he says, let me give you a little lesson here on love and marriage and sexuality. And he goes all the way back to the beginning. Jesus prescribes a return to God's original perfect design for marriage. Now remember, you might say, well, how do you know it's perfect? Because every day when God got done with creation, he said, it is good. So he didn't 1,300 years later go, yeah, no, I really could have done better. No, he, he, he made a great and perfect creation from the very beginning. His design for marriage is perfect. And so just in, instead of giving it an answer, he says, let's go back and let's look at what this sexuality looks like. And, and one of the, the guys that I was um, studying with this week, this passage, he said, this would have been Jesus' opportunity to go back and say, hey, you know what? There's some stuff that was happening in the Old Testament. Let me clarify that. Let me change that. Let me update that. Let me give you the heart behind that. But Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't think the times had changed. He said, whatever happened thousands of years ago in the garden is still the same today. So he takes them back to the literal beginning. He takes them all the way back to Genesis 1, 27. And here's what it says in Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's what God's design is for humans, that there would be two separate sexes, they would be complementary to one another, and they would work together to form this incredible union called marriage. That was his design. Didn't have to. Could have made robots. Could have made trees to have babies. Could have had sex, but it doesn't feel good. He could have done a million things. But he said, I'm going to put these two people who are opposites in so many ways, they're genetically different, they're physically different, and I'm, this is going to work somehow in this beautiful thing that I've designed for them called marriage. By the way, this is, I say this all the time. When people say, you know, Bible and science disagree, no, they don't. They agree all the time. Science is very clear. There's male and female. Only in this crazy culture that we listen to, and we hear from time to time, the idea that you can choose what you are. It just isn't the reality. And so I just want to be honest with you and say, if you're struggling with that today, we'd love to have a care appointment with you and sit down and talk with you through the reasons and the whys and everything else. But we simply have been bombarded with too much messaging, too many images. And um, the reality is, if you're struggling with your sexual identity today, I respect how you feel. And I understand, really, because we live in a crazy culture where the messages are just coming every direction. And you've been encouraged but I believe this culture is being deceptive. And I, I believe that Satan is using this culture to be deceptive, beginning with the pornographic stuff that is just inundating our culture, and then with the popularity of everything that goes behind that. Guys, I would just gently ask you today, if you're struggling with who you are, to ask yourself if it's just a feeling or if there's maybe something that God has for you. Because I want you to notice in this passage, God created man in his own image. That's the most important part of that passage. That's the most important part of the verse. And we live in a culture that jumps straight to our sexuality and says, this is who I am. You have to find your identity in God. You are made in the image of God. If you jump straight to sexuality, it will never make sense. You'll never find who you are. You'll never experience true love. You'll never feel right. You'll never feel satisfied. You'll never be happy if you don't understand first how much God loves you through Jesus Christ and how you're made in his image. Man, I hope you hear that today.
Because once you figure out that you're made in the image of God, it all is icing on the cake after that. He loves us and he sent his son. Guys, listen, here's what I believe. And I just want to say this to you. Let God determine your identity. Let him determine your identity through Jesus Christ. We all need that. I'm confused about who I am and what my life is about unless I have Jesus, the firm foundation we just sang about earlier. And that's true for all of us. So God made them male and female. This is the identity he has for us sexually. And that sexuality comes into this reality that God made marriage for intimacy and blessing. It's companionship. Again, this is this crazy thing that God doesn't have to do. Maybe you've not heard this before. Maybe this is going to be news to you. God created sex. And if you grew up in a church that sex is bad, it's not bad. It's awesome. God made it to be that way. That's what his design is. If it wasn't awesome, nobody would have a problem with it. You know, but, but it's awesome. It's a great experience. It's made to be physically intense. He made it for you and I, and Jesus endorses it. I know you didn't see Jesus talking about sex here. By the way, some people was like, Jesus didn't talk about sex and sexuality, identity, and marriage. Yeah, he did. Here it is. I want you to see the sex words here. Maybe you didn't notice them. But, but sex was designed to bind two people together in marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother hold fast. The word actually in the Hebrew and the Greek has to do with being glued together. That's a sex word, right? Therefore, a man will leave his father, hold fast. The two shall become one flesh. Well, that's pretty intimate. And if you just think about the sex act between a man and a woman, there is no way to get humanly closer to another uh, person. It's impossible. That's as close as it gets. And he's going, you know what? I want them to stay glued together. I want them to become one flesh. And then in verse 9, he says what God has joined together. I'll get to that in just a moment. But God has joined these two people together. Jesus, listen, if you want great sex, find a Christian or godly man or woman, marry them, and have all you want. And it will be the best sex. One of the things I love about this in this passage um, that, that uh, is at the end of what he quotes in Genesis chapter 2, look at this. Isn't this great? They were not ashamed. There's so much shame in this culture surrounding sex. What I did, what was done to me, what happened here, what happened, what I've watched. There, there's so much shame associated with sex. God made sex to be shame-free. No guilt. You just get to enjoy it with this person you're going to spend your life with. It's about binding two people closely together for a lifetime. And that's why sex is such a big part of this. And that's why our culture has got it messed up. Let's start with, first of all, this idea of committing adultery. It's why adultery is so painful and destructive. And again, I realize there are people here that have gone through adulterous relationships, either being the one who's committed it or the one who has been offended. And that's why it's so painful, because it's made to join someone together for a lifetime. And when they, when they share it with the inappropriate person, then guess what? It just, it just sets off this incredible thing. See, sex is too complex. It's intense. It's dangerous. It's physical. It's mental. It's emotional. It's not just, it's more than physical. Our culture says, hey, this is, a, this is a recreational sport. Let's just all have sex with whoever, whenever, however. Let's watch it online. Let's meet people and hook up. Let's do everything the world says to do. And it, it can't be contained that way. It's like we're playing with dynamite. So sex is not a recreation sport, and that's why adultery is so painful. I just want to stop here for just a moment and say, listen, 
There are biblical exceptions for divorce. There are biblical reasons. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 9, except for marital unfaithfulness, if someone sins against you and cheats against you and you're in a marriage, then that's grounds for a Christian divorce. He makes that provision. An unbelieving spouse leaving, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, if you are married, remember Corinth were filled with people who were not Christians before he came to town. And then sometimes a spouse would convert and another one wouldn't. He says sometimes the unbelieving spouse leaves. You're not held accountable in that situation. And then, of course, the death of a spouse. If your spouse dies, then you can remarry. Those are the three biblical, straightforward, if those things happen, you can get out of the marriage. Now, I'm going to stop here just a moment because I know that a lot of you guys are thinking this. What if I divorced for the wrong reason? What if it was my fault? What if I just left? Here's good news for you today. The forgiveness of Jesus covers every sin there is. He's here to forgive everything. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now listen, either all of our sins can be forgiven or none of our sins can be forgiven. And if none of them can, what are we doing here? I believe in the forgiveness of sins, and, and I know that there are marriages that have rehealed and regenerated and gotten stronger and actually lead other Christians because they stuck with it after they had messed up. Or they remarried, and now they have a godly Christian marriage. Guys, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty today. I'm just trying to tell you what Jesus is saying. The design for marriage is that you stay together, and if you're here today and you're not married you're a single brother or sister in Christ. Can I just encourage you? Go into marriage with another Christian person going, we're going to stick with this. We're going to stay with each other. We're going to stay with God because that's the design. God designed marriage for us to enjoy this intimate relationship. I don't have time to talk about this, but after 127 of Genesis where he says, you know, he made them male and female, the very first blessing in the Bible happens in Genesis 128. Be fruitful and multiply. Where's the best place to have kids and raise them in our culture? In a home where mom and dad are committed to each other. That's a firm foundation in God through Jesus Christ. And that's it. And that's the best place. And if you want to know what's messed up with our culture, I'll tell you at least one thing is that uh, people are growing up without mom and dad in the house. And because that union was broken, now everything doesn't seem to be trustworthy in their lives. Did I tell you this is 40 sermons? It's at least 40 sermons here. But I want to go even deeper with this intimacy thing because the truth is the intimacy of marriage and the blessings that come with marriage are, are, are a picture of God. Do you remember that little children's church song we used to sing growing up? His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. You guys remember that? No, you didn't go to church? Okay, I did. It's a funny song because it's a children's song and it's really the most sexually charged book in the Bible. That's from the Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse four. And the whole thing doesn't talk about God, doesn't mention God. The whole thing is a love song between a man and a woman who are lovers and it's intimate. You couldn't read it until you were 13 if you were a Hebrew kid growing up. I mean, spicy. And yet we sang it in children's church. Banner over me is love. You have no idea. Anyway. But why is that book in the Bible? The book is in the Bible because God wants us to understand that as intimately as a man and a woman are attracted to one another in a relationship that is sexual and passionate and intimate is how much God loves us. 
In fact, if you go to Ephesians chapter five, the passage that I use all the time when I do weddings, if I've done your wedding, I've probably used this passage. But at the very end, he says, wives submit, husbands love. At the very end, he says, you know who loves and submits better than anybody else? It's Jesus. Here's what he says in Ephesians five. The mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. In other words, the intimacy of husband and wife who love and submit to one another is a picture of Jesus' sacrificial love and submission to us. If you really want to understand marriage, you just have to understand Jesus and how deeply he loves us. Listen, if you're single today, I just want to encourage you to stay away from any kind of sexuality that you possibly can. And I know it's nearly impossible in this culture. It's, it's just really difficult. But if I could encourage you to talk with a brother or sister or to walk along with some other Christians who are committed to staying um, pure sexually or becoming pure again before your marriage, I promise you, the Lord will bless that. And we want to be about that here at Eastview Christian Church. We're not giving up. And that's why I always preach these sermons. People are always like, you offended a lot of people. I'm like, I know. I want to get to the 12, 13, 14-year-olds before they mess up like the rest of us did so that they can have a chance at walking the godly life. So if that's you, I hope that's, uh, that's a sermon for you today. Well, there's a story attributed to the late Ruth Graham. Uh, you know, I, I jokingly uh, tell this story uh, in reference to 1 Corinthians 7 about your spouse dying. There's a, a story attributed to late Ruth Graham. She was the wife of Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, where she was asked whether she had ever considered divorcing Billy Graham in all the years of marriage. And her response was, no, I never once considered divorce. I considered murder many times. <laughs> but never, never divorce. You have to choose which sin you're going to commit there, right? But the truth is, is that even though there is an exception made for adultery, there is an exception made for an unbelieving spouse leaving, there is an exception made in death, God made marriage to last. He made it to stay together. That's what Jesus says here. Listen, what man has joined together, let man not separate. What God has joined together, let man not separate. This is something that God's intimately involved in. Your wedding might have just been dressing up nice and standing nervously in front of people and saying some words and eating some cake and going on your honeymoon. But to God, it's way more serious than that. He takes marriage very seriously. In fact, this word joined here in verse 9, I don't have time to talk about it, but the word for joined is, is really in reference to a yoke that you would attach animals on the farm to. You put this animal here and this animal here, they bear the same weight, they struggle together, they do the work together, but you are attached. The farmer attaches you. Don't let some guy or gal come and unattach you from the yoke that God has put you in. Guys, listen, if we don't take our wedding vows seriously, at least it's, it's comforting to know that God does. In uh, 400 BC, with hearts still hardened from the time of Moses, Jewish men were divorcing their wives for any and every reason, and they were, they were not only divorcing their wives, but they were going to marry pagan wives and worship their gods. God looked at this as both physical and spiritual adultery. They were cheating on their spouse, but they were cheating on him. And these incredible words, I, I have to tell you, I know I've read these a hundred times, but I want you to see what God thinks of your wedding ceremony. This was from 400 B.C., the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless, faithless. So she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one? Listen to this, with a portion of his spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring 
So guard yourselves in the spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. That is one of the best marriage passages in the Bible. God says, when y'all stand each other and face each other and say, I do, I do too. And I'm with you. And we're in a covenant. And I want you to stay together because if you stay together in me, guess where you're going to raise godly children. And you're gonna, they're going to have a chance at this world doing what so many don't get the chance to do. Guys, God wants us to stay in our marriage. And why does he want us to stay? Because he doesn't divorce us. See, it's a picture. Staying is a picture. And I could give you a lot of illustrations. The best one is Hosea in the Old Testament, who God keeps saying to him, hey, I want you to go marry a prostitute. So he does. She leaves after a couple of children, and she starts prostituting, and God says, go buy her back and marry her again. Why, God? Why do I have to be your object lesson? Because I want to illustrate to the people of Israel, God says, I want to illustrate that no matter how many times you cheat on me, I will never leave you. Guys, you need to hear this today. This is spiritual now, but also also a marriage. If you've walked away from God one time, 10 times, a thousand times, he will take you back. He's not gonna leave you. Divorce is not a part of his reality. He permanently said, when you said yes to Jesus Christ, God said yes to you. And if he cares about our marriages, he cares about his union with us. And all through the scripture, Old Testament's like, y'all are cheating on me, I'm gonna punish you, but I'll take you back. Y'all are cheating on me, I'll take you back. Over and over again, and to the point where he gives his life so that we can be with him forever. So ultimately, guys, we didn't want today's sermon to be against unbiblical sexuality or against adultery or against divorce. I think Jesus has been very clear where, where we stand there, right? We wanted to be like Jesus' answer 2,000 years ago, not what Jesus was against, but what God and Jesus are for. That's, that's really what this sermon's about. This sermon is about Christian marriage. It's about marriages that are not perfect. It's about marriages that um, don't always uh, you know, go as smoothly as we think, but they're marriages that stay together because of our love for God and Christ Jesus. And with help of those around us, we keep going. So we're going to reinforce and encourage today as we end our time in the Word. I'm going to ask my wife, Sarah, to come up on stage, and, and Tyler and Jess, if they can walk up on stage. It's quite a flashback. I actually did uh, their wedding 18 years ago, and they were in my youth group all these years ago. But I'm going to ask my wife to join me on stage, uh, and, uh, and I just want to let you guys know, we want to be a godly example of Christian marriage. We've been married 37 years. We, we got married when we were 13, so it's what's happening. <laughs> But um, we're committed to God and to each other uh, by the power of the Spirit living in us. And we want to set that example for all of you in here. Maybe your marriage is rocky. Maybe your marriage is not where it needs to be. Maybe it's doing great. Maybe it could use a boost. Maybe it's doing awesome. But we want to encourage you. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite uh, the Christian married couples here who would like to to renew your vows today. Okay? I know you didn't come emotionally prepared for that. And if you're not comfortable doing it, don't. Um, because I don't want to freak you out, but I will say this, husbands, if your wife is holding your hand and looking at you right now, I would just go ahead and do it. <laughs> That's just my 37 years of marriage wisdom, all right? I'll just give that to you. But before we do this, though, as you get ready, I, I want to encourage our single brothers and sisters today, because this is not just a time for you to blow off the sermon because we're taking vows. Um, 
number one, you should be encouraged by the Christian couples you're getting ready to see who are committed to their marriage. And I want these people to be an inspiration to you, right? And uh, another thing is that let these vows be the standard for who you date. As you hear these vows, think about who you're going to date and who you might be able to say these vows to someday with honesty. And maybe um, for all of us in here, those who are in Christ and those who are single, those who are married, we should just listen to these vows coming from Jesus because everything that the marriage vows are about are true from Jesus to us, okay? And so um, don't check out. We are his bride, and he loves us as much as we love our brides and spouses. So let's go back to the beginning of creation. Let's go back when you married couples first said, I do. If, you're, if you want to renew your vows today, go ahead and stand. Don't be shy. I know you didn't dress up for it. That's why I wore a tie today, if you're wondering. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to repeat these wedding vows that you're familiar with to one another after me. Um, obviously, don't use Mike and Sarah as the name and <laughs> make sure it's husband and wife appropriately, okay? But let's just recommit to each other again this beautiful ceremony. I, Mike, take you, Sarah, to be your husband, to have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are separated by death. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. Now, because you guys have uh, stood before these witnesses and before God, uh, I pronounce that you guys are husband and wife again. May the Lord bless you and keep you and give you his peace. You may kiss your bride.